Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Modern Agilist, where we go deep on Agile, Scrum, scaling methods, organizational design, coordination. And this is another interview in which we talk to someone who has not only gone into the Agile space and excelled and become extremely proficient and accomplished in it, but has tripped and fallen down the rabbit hole of Web3 and DAOs. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Greg Calderiso, who has recently come into the DAO space and is already making an impact. He will talk about some of the stuff he's done, very notably diagramming the organizational structures of some high-profile DAOs. His background is he's been a developer, adjunct professor, executive roles for 20 years, and incredibly experienced. And so we're going to get a very unique experience. Greg, I don't want to speak for you. We'll let you talk, but I will say this. You had a quote recently on your LinkedIn from William Gibson, and I knew we were going to become best bros when I read it. And that quote is, the future is already here. It's not, it's just not evenly distributed yet. And I've quoted the exact same thing on my LinkedIn. So welcome on the show. Justice, thank you. And it was funny because as we started chatting, I think I sent you the meme from, from Step Brothers pretty quickly around, did we just become best friends? Yes, yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we've had a lot of a asynchronous moments and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for that introduction. It's always, it's very humbling to be here. I've listened to your show for a bit now and, and heard some of the thought leaders. So to, to be in that cohort and to be recognized with that group and here with the two of you, I'm really honored. So thank you for this. So to kick us off, how about you tell us what was your journey into Agile? And then a lot of Agile practitioners don't make it to the level of leadership. They maybe become influential, but not, not a, a direct leadership or executive position. Maybe could you describe that path for us and how that's affected your thinking? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. And I'll try not to use too many common tropes, but they may come up throughout this discussion because I started as a developer. I, I was on a really large implementation, replatforming an entirely entire policy administration system from the main mainframe to, uh, to distributed technologies. So going from COBOL to, to Java, which was pretty wild. And this is a multi-year implementation. A lot of new ways of working, a lot of new ways of thinking. And it was the time where Agile got introduced to me. So I started to understand it from a developer standpoint. And there weren't as many certifications and classes and not even, there was some reading material around it, but not like it is now where there's a lot of thought leadership, a lot of pragmatism and a lot of practicality around it. So I really understood the ceremonies of Agile. So we work in sprints. At that point, we were choosing to do four-week sprints. We went to stand-ups. We did sprint planning. But that was about all I knew. And it wasn't like the rigor and practice behind what I know it to be now. So I, everyone jokes about Scrummerfall and Scrumbon. And there's all different kind of different ways you would call it. And let's face it, we were doing a multi-year replatforming of a mainframe app to a distributed app. That was really a waterfall project. You had to start. You had requirements. You had testing. You had to finish. And it had to be big bang. So you weren't releasing anything in iterations, but we didn't know any better then. We just thought, hey, this is pretty cool. We all sit together. 
We're co-located with the business. We're finally like building requirements on the fly and testing and learning. We're going to stand-ups in the morning and holding each other accountable, which was new. Although there was supposed to be 15 minutes, they'd run an hour. And then we do a big sprint review and everyone would show up and we'd give each other feedback. So we didn't know what the definition of good looked like around pure agile, like the way that I know it now. But we were starting to get our hands dirty in some of the ceremonies and some of the really simple practices of it. And it did, it changed the way we were working because we weren't just replatforming this entire mainframe system in a black box and then handing it over to the business later. They were sitting next to us shoulder to shoulder and building it with us while we were getting to test and learn new technologies along the way. So that, that was how I got introduced to it. And geez, that's probably, this is, this is where you start to date yourself, you know, 13 years ago. Yeah. And technology that's like a hundred years ago. So I, I don't know if there's any questions you want to ask me there, but I can, I can tell you where the pivot point was for me into leadership around that, but I'd love to see if you had any thoughts or things you wanted to dig into around that story. Yeah. I'm curious. I find it interesting because oftentimes I, in my experience, we get accused of being overly prescriptive and it reminds me of like this analogy, right? Where you can appetite is the number one requirement for change. Like to someone has to want to change, right? And if you say, Hey, we just do it this way to do it that way. There's little kind of progress that can be made. Someone has to experience the pain and you didn't come in and say, they gave us a book. There's how we do. And this is what we call things. It was like, we, there's some pain here for a lack of iterative delivery, incremental delivery. And some, some people have asked me, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but people ask me what I think about Cardano. And I said, I never seen a big bang release go well. And, and no matter what the product is, if it's a bang bang release, so it's not iterative delivery, I'm bearish on it. So, you know, there's a, typically there's almost two paths for someone as they become more proficient in the agile space, they, or maybe a few, they either become an agile coach they become maybe an engineering manager or they become a product owner. And so relative to those, like we go into your pivot a little bit, how you went into leadership. <laughs> yeah. So you, and I took none of those paths, which was really interesting. Yeah. What I was working on the integration team. So you had a lot of the requirements being built, you had product ownership on the business side, you had configuration. So all the UX and UI being built and, and all of that would come together pretty quickly, but because we had to move from a almost 40, 50 year old system to the, these new technologies, the integration work, the data layers and that integration layer was the longest pole and it was new technology for us. So it was the most challenging. So from an iteration standpoint, we were always running behind. We could see, you could see it working on the screen, but you couldn't test it with real data. And I saw some opportunity there. I was a good developer. I loved to develop. I loved problem solving, but. If I was being honest, the individuals around me were much more talented. I was learning from them. We were really pushing each other, which was great. But I always was, I, I knew that I had a skill set that the others around me didn't. And not that, and I shouldn't even say they didn't have it. They just didn't like it as much as I did, which was really grounding in what the business was trying to achieve and the technology that we were using to accomplish it. I loved being that bridge in the middle. I loved being able to tell the story. I loved the community of it. I loved building the relationships. So when there was an opportunity and our integration team was running a bit behind, I could see a leadership gap that I really wanted to step into and took a big risk and asked my boss at the time, if he would hand over the keys to the Lamborghini to me, who was <laughs> still pretty junior, so our integration team was, you talk about from a skill set standpoint, from an experience standpoint. 
And just from a monetary standpoint, that was the cream of the crop talent. And we were, we were just taking the Lamborghini out around the park and pulling it back in the garage. We were not firing on all, all cylinders. And I really felt that just from instinct, I had some ideas around how to unlock that team and bring some new ways of thinking. And, you know, now I can look back and say, oh, I understand it better from uh, the principles of Agile, but it was just a really an interest in leadership and advancing ways of working that led me into, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move into an office, unfortunately. Once they put the door on your office, they take away your keys to the ID and to the repository. But I knew that I, it was for the better of the team and for the better of the organization. And that was really it. That left my kind of, that, that put my full-time coding career on the shelf. And now I just play around a little bit at home. And, but it's really, it's taken me on a, kind of an adventure I never could have expected. And I'm really excited that I've gotten to advanced ways of working. Then I've been advancing my whole career and of course we'll get into it, but now I'm seeing this like next renaissance happening in, in DAOs and web three. That's, that's really interesting, especially the part, well, a couple of things that you said in your opening couple of chats here that you've had with us, but the race car thing resonates with me, Justice, you'll remember, I think I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago now about how to design and build your own kind of agile framework and build a team around it. And then we talked about this and collabed on it a little bit too, but I think it was how to build a team or how to build a race car or a really good agile team or a program team or something like that. And it's true, especially when you have a good group of people around you, it feels like you have a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. I prefer yeah. Ferrari, just in a garage or just putzing down the road at 20 miles per hour without a proper framework or a proper, proper way to let it rip. You don't have that race course set up. You don't have that framework where it can just go. So that's really interesting. That resonated with me. Great. That's awesome. Great. It's funny because so often we find ourselves in the situation of doing air quotes over here, getting buy-in, right? Yeah. Yeah. You moved directly into a position where you were already sharing the mental space of agile practitioners, right? And so like you're the greatest ally for someone in this space because no one needed to get buy-in from you. Now you're able to support and advance the whole vision and the approach from a, at a leadership level. Yeah, it's, that's such a good point around the buy-in and because I had been in it and I'd been in the trenches and I'd seen some of the inefficiencies, I had some credibility to, to advocate for change and say, and then put my name on it, say, I'm going to be held accountable for this. I can see it. I think I can, I think I can, I can unleash the power of this Lamborghini. But with that becomes being the change you want to see and actually having the impact and delivering. So it's one thing to sell it and get the buy-in, but then really where the change happens is how they, from a change management standpoint, being able to use that, those incremental wins, those, for, I'm going to use a really simple example. We started to put together a mocking strategy or strategy. We started to mock out integrations. So now all of a sudden the business and all of our stakeholders could see the integrations working. Even if that was, it was on a very simple layer, the plumbing was working. Yeah. It wasn't just you know, someone behind the curtain. It wasn't like a wizard of Oz integration. So those little wins and those little increments were what built on top of the buy-in and really helped us gain momentum around, oh, now we're making progress. Now we're in second gear. Now we're in third gear. Man, we're going to, we're really going to use this race car analogy to death, but that's what was important. It's getting the buy-in, then showing the little wins, gaining momentum, and then starting to have some bigger and bigger successes with some of our smaller integrations and really opening it up. Greg, I think you and I just became best friends as well, because I can't tell you how many times I've said, as you get wins or as things go, or as you build things, how you almost have to market it and show it off a little bit, even internally. The things that you're saying, I think we might've also become best friends too. I love it. I think it's a big gap. I think a lot of people do a lot of really good work sometime and then don't, sh 
you know, that plan, I don't want to stroke my ego. I don't want to do this. I don't want to upset the apple cart, but sometimes you can show off, look at what we did. Here's where we were. And here's something we did. And here's where we are. That's important. It's so true. It's, we don't take the time and it's, and especially devs and I get it. They just, and I shouldn't say they, because that's not everyone, but at that time, those individuals wanted to have their headphones on. They wanted to be head down or they wanted to code, feed the beast, just feed me. And they don't want to be bothered with branding themselves and branding the team and the narrative around the team. But again, that was the stuff that I was able to see importance in and yeah. fill a gap. And I was like, my skills are going to be better utilized doing that than writing an integration or writing code because these individuals are lapping me. And now I can be, I can help bring that narrative and that story of this team and flip it because it was very poor. And then really being able to advertise what we're capable of and then show it off and do that for them. And then eventually they were like, hey, this actually feels pretty good. And they, all of a sudden they're up in the amphitheater and they're doing their own demos. So it was exciting to see, that's the other piece. If you could see me, I'm already getting excited. My hands are waving because I'm Italian, but getting to see individuals find something inside themselves that they didn't know existed. Mm. And that's what this leadership journey has really been all about is unlocking the capabilities of these humans, showing them like, you also can do this and you're capable of this. Now, I don't get the same successes as deploying code and seeing how it works and having that win and going to bed at night. It might be a seed that you plant as a leader three months ago that all of a sudden blossoms and then that's your win. And you have no idea when or if it's even coming, but there's something cool about that and something incredibly rewarding when it does happen. So Greg, I want to take a little left turn, Justice, if you'll just indulge me for one second. <laughs> but it, the stuff that you said you've found value in and you've been able to do and expose on other people as well. Like you just said, how has your time with the Upright Citizens Brigade factored into that? I see that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I really want to know it from a serious point. This is an awesome left turn. So I'll speak about it at improv and, and just in general. Okay. I was very lucky. My, I went, so I met my wife doing improv and we ended up training at UCB. We took three of the courses there. We weren't able to finish the fourth because of COVID, unfortunately. And now we have a three-year-old daughter. So it's still, whether or not we end up getting back there and finishing that curriculum off, we'll see. But that is just part of more of the learning journey around where I want to take my life and the way I want to continuously push myself. Mm -hmm. But in, improv in itself has been an enormous influencer in the way I work and collaborate. And it's amazing how much of the uh, principles tie to teamwork and, and tie to agile from a framework standpoint too, of you have a group of people, hopefully a really diverse group of people with different comedic brains, different ways of thinking, and there's a common outcome. We all want to put on a good show. So we're going to show up. We're not going to know what has happened, what we're about to do. We're going to get a word from an audience and we're going to put on anywhere between a 20 and a 45 minute comedic play for lack of a better term. But there's a framework. There's a framework that we've all agreed to that we're going to make a comedy. We're going to make comedy with it. We're going to create a show within. And we practice that framework. We don't practice the scenes we're going to do. We practice the way that we do comedy so that when we get into game time, we have that framework to lean back on. And because we've practiced within that framework. We now also have flexibility within the framework too, which is something from an agility standpoint, I'm really big on is one of my core principles. It's almost like you've got to, you have to know the rules. You've got to practice the rules before you can break the rules. And we say a lot. Shuhari. Say that again. It's a, it was a shuhari. It's like you do it by rote repetition, then you elaborate and then the rules disappear. Yes. Yeah. It, and they just become ingrained in you and it's this guiding force and I can get very spiritual around improv. But that really showed me what communication, you have to listen. You, with improv, you, you practice with each other, 
You have to actively listen to each other. You have to respond to what was said to you as a character. You have to say the core principle is yes and. You have to accept that individual's idea and you need to build on top of it. Tina Fey has this great quote that it's the concept of we all, the thing that we build together is far greater than the thing we would have built as an individual. And that just rang true for improv. And I think it also rings true for agile development, for DAOs, for Web3, around how can we show up and understand what our North Star is. And so we know what the what is, put on a great comedy show. We have working agreements on how we're going to get there. But then the kind of the how in the middle, the way that we create is up to us. And it's up to the collaboration, the acceptance, and all of the frameworks that we've practiced together to create the output. And like, how cool, it's magic. It's like, it's just magic when it happens. It's, there's no more pure form of collaboration and leaderless organization than an improv troupe. And I have a lot of thoughts around, and I'm hoping maybe to write more around how that relates to software development, how that relates to agility, how it relates to collaboration and communication with each other. So I think there's a lot to unpack there that really hasn't been discovered. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad we took that left turn. Me too. I was thinking that there's a connection there too. Releasing early, you're like the bare bones, the basic thing. There's a fear in that. It's, they say, if you're not embarrassed by your first release, then you didn't release soon enough. And there's a fear also in doing stand-up comedy. And I see a connection there of just putting it out there and facing that fear. Justice, you just pulled on just such a great thread is improv is test and learn. We're going to go out there. We're going to do a scene that's one minute to two minutes tops. And if it bombs we're getting instant feedback from the audience. And we're probably not gonna go back and touch some of that. If it slams, if it's on fire and everyone's going nuts, guess what? We're all putting that in our mental pockets and we're gonna go back and we're gonna ring that bell over and over again or or ring something similar to it and really kill whatever comedy is in there to make sure we get the most out of it. But it is unbelievably vulnerable test and learn because there's no worse experience than going out there for two minutes and no one even makes a sound, but you have to experience that. and then. They understand what it's like to experience the other side and also to learn from it. It is 100% test and learn in, in real time. Yeah. That, what's that? The, there's no failure, only learning. I think I said someone to someone one time, I said, if this thing goes south, I will, or if this thing goes right, I will have learned a lot. And they're like, if it goes wrong, you will have learned a lot. I was like, oh, so, as, as long as you get it out when the crowd's there, within a reasonable time, yeah. I, I'm just being silly. Yeah. So. Right now, you're at a level of the agile transformation level. Hundreds of people. This is full scale, pun intended, agile, safe, less, discipline, agile delivery, matrix, agile, or Spotify. This is the level at which you're operating as an agile leader right now. And so to pivot a little bit, how has that, or is it at all related to, because how we've come to know each other is through the DAO space. Is that a left turn or an evolution of what you're already doing? I, I would say an, an evolution and a really an, an unexpected one that's given me a whole new reservoir of energy. So yes, everything you listed for the past, I would say almost 10 years, I've been a part of, uh, whether it was in, informally or now formally changing ways of working and specifically these last, I would say five or six years have been spent in trying to understand and create and roll out a more matrixed organization. So talent reporting to someone who oversees their talent career. The technology is with a technology leader and separating those disciplines 
for the good of the individual, making sure that they have the care and feeding they need for their career. They're, they have someone who is listening to them and understanding where their gaps are, where they're willing to learn, where they're able to learn, what the organization needs, and being able to then set that person up for success in the short and the long term, identify those gaps, really create a rewarding career for them. And separating that from the technology, because if you're been in an IT shop, the classic hierarchical structure is there's an individual who owns an application and owns 20 people and owns is a terrible word, oversees 20 people, owns the applications responsible for that application. And guess what? At the end of the day, the most important thing is going to be delivery and stability and not the individual's career. So being able to separate those two things and really have a discipline and a community of practice around talent development, agility, mindset, mental models, and also their technical skill building and, and separate that from the individual who is responsible for advancing the technology, understanding what's going on in the market, looking for new technologies to bring in, and then aligning back with the talent side of the organization to say, here's something we're going to need to build and be aware of in the future, or this is something we need to do right now. That is so cool. And I, I got to give a big, big kudos to Rick for seeing the need for a similar situation among in our situation, in our agile group of us needing to report to a native agilist at a command line direction. And so him setting that up. So yeah, that's very cool. I, I would love to talk more about that and then hear more because I, I think one of the hard parts about this is there aren't a lot of great case studies for it. There's not a lot of success stories out there. And this is a very hard model. It's extremely challenging. It's very easy to slide back or backslide into old behaviors or old mental models when things don't feel right or things aren't going. So it's when, when you're in the middle of it, you're in the trenches. Like this is, it's the point where most companies or most teams will turn back, but it's actually the most important time to push through and really understand what success looks like and what these new ways of working like back to the Lamborghini analogy, what can this unlock for us? And I think that was the US tumble down the rabbit hole into the web three in DAOs and starting to understand the way this was happening already, that with individuals who didn't know each other, were completely anonymous and are organizing with billion dollar and inside of billion dollar market cap organizations and completing work, working with each other. That just blew my mind. So I'm like, all right, that is it. If that can happen there, why can't it happen here? And how can I start learning, jumping in feet first and learning? what's going on there and what are some of the principles and ways of working and, and maybe some things that we're just missing that I could bring back and help advance us as we're in the middle of, of really trying to unlock our talent organization. Yeah. So what was uh, practically, what was your first exposure and what led you to see the connection? Because a, a lot of people maybe see Web3 and crypto as a purely financial reality. And you're talking about it like it's a different organizational structure. So can you elaborate on that? Justice, you're spot on. I didn't get into crypto for years and I was only looking at the financial aspect of it. I was afraid to get obsessed with it, quite honestly. I dive deep into things, I go hard into things. So I was afraid to get obsessed with it and be chasing money. And so I never touched it. And it wasn't until I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and he had Chris Dixon and Naval Ravikant on. And they started to explain what Web3 was, what NFTs were and tokens. And how, and then that's where I heard about the term DAP first come up and how you could almost incentivize individuals in the right ways to collaborate in a decentralized way. So you had, you didn't need a central authority telling everyone what to do. There was a, there was a North star 
there's value that needs to be output. And then there is almost like a membership through tokenization that is, gives you some skin in the game. And also you have voting and participation rights. And it just started to sound to feel a lot like to me, like the way we want to empower our development teams. We want to get to a point where the teams decide a point where we trust the teams, a point where the teams are data curious and making data-driven decisions. And I'm like, oh, and I'm over here just my, like miming, blowing my mind because I'm like, <laughs> this is it. This is the unlock. Do I ever see we're going to bring blockchain technology into our, in, into our fiat jobs and our organizations and run our teams that way? I, who knows? I, I think that is the art of the possible. But that doesn't mean there aren't behaviors and mental models and ways of working that we could mine from now to help unlock individuals' day-to-day -day jobs and the kind of work that I'm doing. Yeah, I, when you talk about uh, the connection here, I remember in the very first kind of certification training material from SAFE, Scaled Agile Framework, there's a section in there where they talk about there's a there's an old model, which is a hierarchy, command and control structure, and then there's the Agile network. And they say, when you have both, you always end up destroying the network with the hierarchy. It overcomes it. They even have an animation where it's like hitting it and a goofy animation explodes into smoke or whatever. And they say, we are the dual operating system or something. It's like that. So it's like the best you can get is this dual approach without programmable coordination, without the tools of Web3. With them, you actually can have an organization that is a true network. And that's the unlock for me. Yeah, I'm so interested in, we spend a lot of time thinking about things like working agreements and decision rights and the roles that we play in organization and the, who are the different lead leads, for lack of a better term, or thought leaders. And if we were able to have that on chain and something that was verifiable, well, all of a sudden it isn't about the ego. It isn't about the, that coordination layer that you just talked about, the churn and toil that happens there. And this isn't a, maybe a very pure, purest standpoint, but we just go to the chain. If we have working agreements on chain, we've all agreed to them. Great. Now we don't have to get into this great debate over who's the smartest person in the room because we just, we've decided how we're going to work and we've mm -hmm. made an agreement on that and we've coded it. And it, I can't even imagine the less, the, the amount of time we wouldn't spend in meetings, the time we wouldn't spend frustrated, the nights we would lose less sleep over if we could find a way to, to programmatically coordinate those activities. Yeah. I love the fact you, you mentioned the working agreements. And what's funny is it takes different things for different people to make the light go, bulb go off. But I've been thinking recently, just talking about working agreements and say, Hey, this whole thing, the Dow thing, it's just a giant communal working agreement. And in or people can put forth proposals to change that. And then everyone can vote with their token and then things continue on. So that's like a constitutional amendment, Dow proposal system. And it's basically that working agreement eventually, or maybe it starts out this way, is a smart contract that it, things have to work this way because it's a program. Yeah, I'm spot on. And it's been interesting. I have this, I, it's, a un, it's, not, it's a, not a fully formed thought. So maybe the two of you can help me form it, which is because there's also a piece of this around anonymity that is really interesting. Why are we more vulnerable when we're anonymous? Why are we willing to collaborate and put ourselves out there when we have a, a picture of a cartoon as our avatar and we're not using our real names. And I haven't fully understood that piece yet. Why is there more psychological safety through anonymity and sharing in public in these ways? But I think what almost disappoints me in a way, but interests me is 
we're advancing technology to take away some of the human elements, the the those core human coordination elements to advance our ways of working, to create a more human way of working with each other and a more natural and collaborative way of working. And I, hopefully that makes sense around where my brain's going, where it's coding out the human coordination layers so we can actually collaborate the way we want to as humans. It makes my brain explode. It is. And people use the analogy of speed running history, and they talk about it in, in reference to decentralized finance, DeFi, and they say we're speed running where you start with just trading and now you can introduce like lending and borrowing. And this all happens over 12 months, not 12,000 years. And in the same way on the organizational design and stuff, we start, we say, okay, we can have a, a, an agreement between us. And it's like, okay, congratulations. You have a contract. Basically thousands of years ago, we had covenants effectively the same as a contract, but we're speed running and we don't, we haven't even arrived at the point of like online or on-chain reputation systems which is a critical piece. And so it's, I don't have to have my entire person in reference to this agreement. I can have just my history in a certain context play into it. So it is, it's like, how do, how are we removing human elements to, to strengthen other human elements? And it's, if we're trying to program, program out coordination failure, maybe we're trying to program out human weaknesses as well, where maybe someone wouldn't want to do business with you because they know your political affiliation or because of the color of your skin. And by removing that, we allow more human elements. So that's a very deep, very deep. Oh, thanks for that, Justin. Appreciate it. It definitely helped me wrap my brain around a little bit more, but I'm excited to, to, to dig deeper into that. It's fascinating. I also wonder too, that along the same lines of, okay, injustice hinted at, I may not want to work with this person because I don't know. I feel they're weird or I don't agree with them or something like that. But I also think that even outside of the world of DAOs or Web3, just in general, anonymity removes, and maybe we touched on this a little bit, but maybe it removes a little bit of the fear of failure too. When things don't go, I can't point my finger and blame justice. I am not only blame cartoon guy that I don't really know who <laughs> is. No, you get that lack of fear of failure too. So not only do people maybe are more apt to work with people a little bit more naturally, but then also the people who are working are less concerned with, if I screw up, it's not, it's not my reputation necessarily. That's a very good point. Yeah. Well, and, and I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I saw this morning and I promise this totally relates that. Okay. So we know that what's that VR headset from Facebook is it Oculus. Yeah. Oculus. They removed login with Facebook and have added login with meta or something. And I saw that and I said, what's the big deal? It's the same. And it's to isolate and remove the social baggage. That was the impression I got. Allow for isolation of, because brand is about feeling, it's about all this kind of stuff. And if we want an idea to be judged solely based upon the merits of the idea, you almost have to remove all the baggage that comes, all the other relationships that are there if you want an isolated judgment of it. And what I wonder, and again, this is another deep well in my brain is, can we overcome that? So I, what I almost back to being a little bit sad about is, has the fiat world, has the fiat job been left for dead around, you know what, we're humans, we're too messy, we're too sloppy. We can't figure out our baggage, our old stories, and let that go to collaborate with each other. And now, like you said, DAOs and Web3 are speed running that. Who's trying to fix the problem in the middle? Because uh, yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what excites me is around. I want to go learn and be a part of, of advancing this because I think that this is our new way of working. I don't know how far away it is, 
but this is it. I felt like this three, three times in my life, Get, getting my first computer, getting on the internet. And then now that's the, this is the third time in my life I have felt this way. And what I'm really hoping to do is advance it, but also learn from it and not leave our teams for dead, not leave our human teams yeah. for dead. To, let's learn from this and let's be a part of this versus fearing it and mocking it and memeing it. And there's something going on that I really believe from an agility standpoint, we need to pay attention to and how we design our collaboration mechanisms or coordination mechanisms and our agility frameworks to be able to really sustain and thrive off of what's happening. But I don't know if that discussion's occurring. I know Justice and Rick, this podcast, it's occurring, but I want to be a part of helping advance that and grow it on a larger scale. I think that's, I think it's super interesting and super important. Just the idea of, there's always an aspect, and we were just talking about it, and there's always an aspect of organization and stuff that you're going to need to do to enable this and to get people to jump on. So I think that's super interesting. And I also think that, like you said, let's not mock it or meme it. I think people need to realize that Web3 is not just Bitcoin, right? It's not just... <laughs> Yeah. It's not just cryptocurrency. There's more to it. And the whole concept behind DAOs and the other things that we're talking about here and how they can be leveraged with teams, that's the important thing. So evangelizing that at the same time, figuring out ways to structure it so that teams can work together and deliver things. I think those are the, maybe the, and that's the missing, the missing link. You're the missing link, Greg, as well, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. 100%. I have the same feeling. I'm extremely humbled by that. Thank you for that. I think, Greg, what you said is pretty profound, and it's a challenge to me because I really tend to frame this whole thing as, hey, this got us so far. Now we've graduated. Here's a new thing, and this is all going to be like this. When really, like a lot of things, it's a bell curve. There's going to be the full anonymous mayhem of pure bounty, mercenary, like Web3. And there's going to be more centralized, more traditional organization. And really it's about learning from both of those struck because people make the exact same mistake in web three. And if you propose anything that even looks like any type of organizational structure from web two or traditional organizations, like, you know, we can't do that. That's how that's the old way. I'm like, they did it this way. Cause it works. Like everything's not new We're building. And what you're saying is also the other side is true as well. Like we need to blow up the company, but there's stuff we can learn from what's happening in Web3 and apply it to the existing organizations and constructs we use to benefit both. So that is awesome and a real balanced way to see it, I think. Oh, thank you. So I want to hop into two pieces you put out, and one of them is how we got in contact. Both of these are on Mirror, which is a crypto medium, right? You post with your wallet, your identity. For anyone who wants to follow and read more from, from Gray, he's at gcatariso.eth. That's his ENS, his kind of domain name in Web3. But you put out diagramming DAOs and you did bankless DAO. Diagram the, the organizational construct and kind of the flow there. And it is amazing. I saw it and I was just like, I was blown away. I was like, I have to meet this person. And I think that's how we got in contact. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Justice. And that, that that honestly was one of the more challenging things I've ever done in my life. I was really fortunate to meet BP through another DAO we're participating in called Reputable. And I started to just watch his Twitter and then I saw he was associated, or I think he's one of the co-founders of Sobel. Went to Sobel's site and I read their PDF or their white paper on the future of work. And again, it was just one of those moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole 
white paper just unlocked everything I'm feeling. It gave me like definitions and some vocabulary behind what I had been feeling and I'm, and I needed to talk more to him. So we did a quick chat on discord and chopped it up for, but we became best friends. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing, same kind of mindset. And he says, Hey, it looks like you're interested in content. You're interested in this world. We have a, a content team and why don't you come show up? And again, this is what it was so amazing about the, it's so amazing about the Dow world was I jumped into my first contributor call. They're talking about doing these diagramming Dow series. And I read the first one they did on city Dow. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I want to get into the bones of how this stuff works. I want to dig deep. I want to dive in foot feet first. Like I said, here I am, I'm all in just like I was afraid of, except I'm not all in it for the money. I'm all in it for something different. Now it's about learning. And I rose, I raised my hand. I said, I would like to take on the research aspect of this, pulling that all together. I, that's the team. They were able to really take a lot of the work that I did and how deep I dug and then all the different diagrams I put together and create that narrative in the story. Just an amazing team there. But I spent, oh my gosh, hours. I had some sleepless nights. I had some early mornings. I was chasing my tail, but it started to really come together. And I was like, this is a full-blown organization, like a full-blown organization running off anonymity, off the blockchain, through bounties. They're forming guilds. They're proposing projects. They're voting. I couldn't believe this whole other world and economy existed. And it was it just as what I needed to do around, I've got to learn this from everyone that told me was like, this is the big boy. So if you want to learn, here you go. And I think justice, I may have said this to you in a chat. I'm a big proponent of, I'm, I'm not going to let this new way of working happen to me. I see it coming. I'm going to have it happen with me. I'm going to be a part of it and get back to bringing learnings back. And I just couldn't see a better way than to dive in and spend all this time learning and then documenting and writing to advance myself, to get up the learning curve as fast as possible. And I'll tell you, it, it gave me a masterclass and that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And I see there's a series from Sobla, which are doing this across many communities. And it's such a service. I think we tend to totally underestimate the value of imagery and diagrams. Anyone who's worked in IT and they're talking about what's the diagram for the system, oftentimes that's the starting point. The whiteboard, the information communicated on one whiteboarding and one diagram translates to tons of text. You, ne you need to get the text or maybe text is a starting point, but that visual element, so much can be communicated in that way. So very much needed, especially as some of these organizations, these DAOs talk about massive reworks and change in their incentive mechanism and their governance to be able to say, okay, this is the current state, this is the future state, and what's the function to create the change, you know? Yeah. You know, that's something that it also helped me understand was what it's not perfect. It's not, this was, this isn't just the panacea and DAOs fix everything because there's a lot of organized chaos. There's a lot of red herring research trails that I went to, there's so many different platforms that governance is out on Google docs, discourse, notion. I mean, it was everywhere. I really had to work hard to try and put the story together. And even after all that, I couldn't have sat down and told you the story from the beginning to the end. We had to work together as a team to pull that together. And there were individuals who have been with bankless for a long time. And what was really interesting to me was having done all that work, I still didn't really know how to contribute. I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I knew this was going to be the place to learn, but I actually, even though I, and I diagrammed the contributor kind of onboarding and funnel, but I still couldn't figure out how to really get my hands on some work and, and get my hands dirty. And it wasn't until we chat and I jumped into the PM guild that I started to 
start, you have to be around for a little bit. And, and a piece I'm going to be writing, I think it's either part two or part three of my journey is being willing to get digital coffee. Take the meeting minutes, make yourself mm-hmm. value, humble yourself. As you said, I do, I have a good pedigree, but, I, but humble yourself and take meeting minutes and just find ways to, to fill gaps, be of value, be present, communicate. And all of a sudden you start to gain a little bit of traction. But it's not easy. It isn't just like day one, show up, start getting work, making some bank. And I'm on, I'm on my way to crypto riches. That's for sure. This goes back to that anonymity. Like I've been in many meetings where someone, the animated dog showed up. He's like, listen, I run like four companies. I'm telling you, here's what you need to do from a strategy standpoint. And frankly, not because it's solely my disposition, but just given the culture and the organizational structure. It's like, cool story, bro. It's like you, you actually have to get your hands dirty, build up some social capital, and it takes some time to understand the communication channels in order to make that impact. And it can happen pretty fast. It can happen over very rapidly over a couple of months, but it is jarring for people who are used to standing and starting on a certain pedigree in order for that to almost have no, no weight coming in the door. Spot on. And then you show up. It's like you get dropped into... A different in the middle of the United States, you just get picked up and dropped and everyone's speaking English. <laughs> you don't understand any of the words. There is this incredible learning curve that you have to persevere through. You have to be willing to ask for help. And everyone is, everyone I have run into has been wonderful. There isn't one DM that hasn't been replied back to. People have made me loom videos for how to set up my MetaMask wallet. Like it has just been such a giving community and just a desire to have me there and enable me to contribute. But it has to go both ways. You're going to put in a lot more that you're going to get back at the beginning. That's for sure. Yep. Great guesses. I think that's interesting too, right? Because everybody's looking for that kind of great equalizer and work too. Yep. And it gives you that. So, yeah. So Greg, you are really doing a service to us all by telling your story. And you recently put out a web three journey part one, again, on mirror where you're getting into this laying out. I think this is going to be helpful for others to see the experience. Yeah, I appreciate that. I really found that through writing, I'm starting to crystallize my own thoughts and be more comfortable with my own thought leadership and have more courage and have some vulnerability to put myself out there and recognizing that I want more individuals with backgrounds like mine and or very diverse backgrounds to come join and help advance this and challenge and think and, and collaborate. But it's scary. And if that story can help disarm the experience and help someone say, you know what, I'm going to show up, I'm going to come get digital coffee for a little while and learn and show up to the town halls. I hope that it can. And that's uh, part one is out now. We broke it into to two parts. So the second part will be me actually joining my first DAO. And then part three will be a, a bit of my takeaways from it and how it's changed me. But it's interesting. I'm already thinking about part four justice because it's meeting you, it's now contributing in the PM guild and I'm actively working there. I'm creating value there. So there's almost like this (laughs) to to be continued part four piece that's brewing because now it isn't, I'm not lurking. I'm not just asking questions. I'm starting to become someone who can actually provide value and some thought leadership and I'm seeing my contributions carry some weight, which is amazing. Awesome. You absolutely are making huge contributions and we're super thankful to have you in this series we're putting out. We're going to package together as agile practitioners falling down the rabbit hole. And so people can 
not just have isolated episodes of this podcast, but say, hey, here's a four or five hour series that steps through four individuals and exactly how that happened and maybe direct them to some starting material from a PM guild, a Web3 agile manifesto, something like that. So I think there's a lot of potential there, you know. That's fantastic. I think that will be really valuable and something that I'll be excited to, to listen to as well. And he didn't see what the key themes are. I'm, I got to imagine a few themes are going to bubble to the top around the experiences. And then how do we sense and respond to that? Then mm -hmm. out space, how can we help advance some progress around those themes that we see? Yeah. Now I, I want to ask you a question and if this is too far out there, just say so, but then we'll wrap up and give our listeners some leads on if they want to go deeper with you and what you're doing and connect. But do you see any connection between we talk, we speak in this common of agile transformations. Okay. Reorg wouldn't be the right word, but a come in a kind of a, a reverse Conway maneuver where you arrange, rearrange an organization for maximum efficiency, you refine it communication channels and you set the machine up so that they can effectively deliver incrementally. Do you see a similar pattern or a potential for there to be Dow transformations because there are companies out there and there's an increasing demand through like bankless consulting and Ethereum adoption, Dow enterprise, Ethereum Alliance of them kind of being an on-ramp for companies that want to come into and augment their businesses with web three. And then you have these agile practitioners in here that are working many times with gals that are quite dysfunctional on the inside. Do you see any connection between these two things and people with high skill in one area, they can apply them in the other, like a portability there? I think I do. And this is a bit of the question I'm actually asking myself and trying to understand more is how much of this is really Web3 specific? How much of this is not portable? Will a, yeah. will a, a fiat company, a corporation, ever run a blockchain to, to have role clarity, to create working agreements, to vote, can, will we ever be able to have that level of technology? I've got to imagine that we will. I don't know how far away that is, but what I do see is the ability, especially since you, you got to think since COVID hit and there, there was a, a friend of mine, he said, he said, we're all working in the gig economy now. And it hadn't resonated I, before this, I had been with two companies, one for seven years, one for 13 years, and they changed jobs. He goes, welcome to the gig economy. And, and that has sat with me. And then as I think more now, and I see this Dow space, yeah, you can go work for any kind of company, anytime you want in, in the Dow space. I don't know if we'll ever shift that far. I've got to imagine it's going to progress and I don't know how far or how fast, or if that's even necessarily what we want or what everyone would want, because there is something about relationships and community, e even when it's, even when it's just face to face over video that I know I would miss. So where do these two worlds meet in the middle and how can we take some of these principles that we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis that are being unlocked in DAOs and solved there, have maybe some consulting come in. I think there's some organizations out there like the ready that are bringing in new ways of working and new thought processes and being able to do a gap analysis between, all right, here's where you are. Maybe you, and maybe at this point you've transformed, you've transformed your pure agile for lack of a better term, and you want to advance, you're still seeing some inefficiencies. You're still seeing some non-value added activity, and you want to advance that even further. Now does that become bringing in DAO principles? Is his DAO agile 3.0 or is DAO the new agile? I do think that there is something there. The way that I have been able to join a community, pick up work 
have valuable conversations. And almost there's this funneling of thought leaders that pools together. Like how did you and I find each other? It just happens organically. So these communities of practice that sometimes you try to force inside of an organization and never really stick or never really happen or have the outputs or outcomes that you hoped for are now happening really organically. There has to be something too that's portable back and that a, some kind of Dow consulting organization would be able to come in, but there has to be the key to this will be individuals who are willing to meet the company where they are. We, yeah. they can't just come in and say, Dow's are better. It's going to solve all your problems. Can't do all this stuff. You anymore. guys are done dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, so can we meet the companies where they are and start to show some of those principles Show some of those quick wins back to what we showed before. Maybe pick a few teams to test it with, a few communities of practice to test it with, and then maybe scale from there where it works. I've got to believe that there is, there's an opportunity and a problem to solve there. Freaking awesome, Greg. How can our listeners get to know you more, keep track of what you got coming? You see you're on Twitter as G Cateriso. You're on Discord as G Cal. Yeah, I guess I'm what the, I'm what the Dow community calls doxed, which I've learned, I've learned that term, which means I, I don't really separate my, my, my Dow anonymity from my real life, my, my fiat personality here for lack of a better term. So you can find me in all the normal channels on Twitter at G Calderiso, LinkedIn, just at Greg Calderiso on discord at G Cal. I'm spending time in the PM guild with Bankless. So you will find me there working with a great health and wellness Dow called reputable. And then you'll see with Team Sobel, I'll be doing a lot of writing and hopefully contributing some more of the Bankless DAO pieces. I'm also doing the upcoming Writers Guild cohort for Bankless. So I'm excited about that. And hopefully every, I think it's one every, once every four weeks, I'll be putting something out from there. Amazing. Greg, we'll have to have you back as you go further on your journey and continue to percolate and crystallize and see what can be produced in the possibly in the sense of a web three organizational coordinator manifesto, something like that. I, I love it. I'd be happy to come back as part of any discussion anytime. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate this opportunity. It's been really fun to learn again. And like I said, learning in a way that I have, this is the third time in my, in my life where I have felt this way and this excited about something and finding a community that's talking about it, advancing thought leadership around it. It's just been a blast. It does. It reminds me so much of improv where we're all, it's autonomy, purpose, and mastery. And there's so much autonomy here. It's in the darn name. There's a purpose behind it of advancing this thought leadership and really advancing these ways of working. And then the mastery aspect, we're never going to master this. And so that's something that I think is going to, unfortunately, sometimes keep us all up at night, but hopefully in a good way, keep our brains on fire as we advance these new ways of working in the future of work. Awesome. Thank you, Greg. Great. As always, uh, I'm leaving with more thoughts and questions and answers, but I guess that's a good. This is great. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. <laughs>